Hello, one and all. It's Religious Studies Project time again. As ever, I'm David Robertson and... As sometimes, I'm Christopher Cotter. And as now, you're Dr. Christopher Cotter. Yeah, no, we've been yeah, we've been banging on about that a little bit for a while, but I got the bit of paper to prove got it. Got the you bit know. of paper. Um, no one can take it away now. <laughs> <laughs> they probably can. Yeah, there's got to be some loophole. This week we have another interview from our good friend Sydney Castillo down there in Peru, and this week the interview is with Juan Fonseco Ariza, and is entitled "Politics of This World." the Protestant, evangelical and Pentecostal movements of the Peruvian political landscape. So to explain further, I'll pass over to Sydney. Professor Juan Fonseca is licensed in history from Pontificia Universidad Católica de Peru and is also master in history of this university, from this university. His work focuses on the historical development of non-Catholic Christian movements in Peru, mainly Protestant and Evangelical, and intertwining of their participation in politics and social movements. Welcome, Professor Fonseca, to the Orlean Studies Project. It's a pleasure to stay with you. Pleasure is also ours. Now, we're here to learn some some things about uh, the non-Catholic Christian movement in Peru. In order to do that, we would like to know a bit more about the classification of this movement, right? Since the Protestant and the Pentecostal landscape of Peru is counterintuitively enough a diverse one in terms of origins, theology, and political tendencies, based on your previous research, could you please elaborate a brief classification of these movements? Of course. Uh... In my, in my last writings, I have uh, raised the uh, typology uh, of, of Protestantism. Uh, this typology is, uh, is based in, in the following aspects. Uh, first, uh, its historical roots, uh, national level and worldwide level, uh, some interreligious characteristics, uh, uh, that is to say is that uh, the beliefs and the religious practices that make them singular uh, within the, the set of, of Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, this includes two uh, their structures, uh, their theology, uh, their ecumenical practices and the type of religiousness practiced by, by these members. Mm -hmm. uh, and third is uh, extra-religious emphasis. Uh, uh, which include the ways its person is articulated in the public sphere. For example, uh, their political attitudes, uh, some of uh, attitudes towards the social practices, mm -hmm. uh, and some ideological points. Uh, moreover, I believe that uh, Protestant and Pentecostal are like uh, two specific phases. Mm -hmm. Uh, within the Peruvian Christianity. Uh, these two phases that uh, coexist uh, in Peru within the uh, non-Catholic uh, population, mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, these two groups uh, share their 
some uh, theological characteristics, but also uh, the reference uh, in the Bible to define the dog. However, there is a fundamental difference between the symbolic epistemology that constitutes the base on which the religious practices of the religious devotes are constructed. Mm -hmm. uh, on the one hand, the Protestantism, which is basically uh, rational religion sustained in the Bible. Uh, on the other hand, the Pentecostalism is a sensorial religion mm -hmm. sustained in the constant and intense experience with the nominus. The Protestantism is like a religion of modernity, the Pentecostalism as a religion of postmodernity. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this sense, Catholicism uh, is like a religion from uh, pre-modernity. Mm. Uh, uh, well, uh, about this uh, theoretical, theoretical base, I suggest the following type typology. So, uh, two big groups, uh, Protestantism and uh, Protestantism itself mm. and Pentecostalism. Mm. Uh, Protestantism itself, uh, I, uh, we can uh, distinguish two groups. Uh, mainline Protestantism and Evangelical Protestantism. Uh, mainline Protestantism, for example, uh, includes uh, churches like Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. uh, these churches uh, uh, has a very ecumenical attitude uh, in its ecclesiology. Uh, their theol theology is liberal and uh, political attitudes are uh, very progressist. Mm -hmm. uh, an evangelical and uh, the evangelical group includes uh, some churches, for example, the Christian Missionary Alliance, the Nazarene Church, Baptist churches, Adventist Church, uh, and uh, their theology is is uh, is more moderate, uh, not necessarily uh, liberal. Uh, its uh, political attitudes are uh, moderates of center-right or center-left. Mm -hmm. uh, on other side, uh, in Pentecostalism uh, sphere, uh, we can uh, distinguish two groups. Uh, classic Pentecostalism, for example, some churches like Assemblies um, of God, Church of God, uh, Pentecostal churches in general. Uh, in, in this, in this uh, field, uh, their theology is more conservative, mm -hmm. sometimes fundamentalist, uh, and its uh, religi religiosity is very um, uh, pietistic, and uh, its uh, political attitudes are more conservative too. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last group uh, inside uh, Pentecostalism is the Charismatic Churches. The Charismatic Churches, for example, includes a, a very large uh, Christian community. Uh, Agua Viva, mm -hmm. Living Waters, is a, is a very uh, renowned community here in Lima. Uh, Camino de Vida, uh, uh, Emmanuel Church, uh, the Church of, of, of uh, Berkeley is mm -hmm. very outstanding evangelical uh, congress. Uh, 
churches are very uh, enthusiastic uh, religions, uh, very conservative theology, mm -hmm. but uh, they, uh, these churches uh, has a very good uh, work uh, in politics too, mm -hmm. uh, very effective work, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, with, with politics uh, very conservatives too. So its attitudes are uh, sometimes very linked to, to political right to, uh, and the moral uh, is, is very conservative too. Mm -hmm. I think uh, this is the, know, the, uh, the spectrum of, of, of the evangelical uh, Christianity. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting because it's a present-day analysis, right? But you as a historian, you of course have a, the research about the very beginnings of non-Catholic denominations in Peru. In that sense, and this question is, um, how was the relationship between the first wave of Protestant visions and the social movements or institutions that were present in the first years of the 20th century of Peru? They, we could name we could name something like uh, indigenism, syndical movement, student movement, or families. Uh, on the one hand, the Protestant missionaries on the early uh, of the early decades of the 20th century developed a strategy combining the following aspects. Mm -hmm. uh, first, a uh, political object objective. Uh, the decline of the power of the Catholic Church, mm -hmm. uh, which will co coincide with the most progressive sectors in different periods. Second, a uh, cultural offer. Mm -hmm. uh, the Protestants as uh, carriers of, of civilization, mm -hmm. in which they will also receive the support of the liberals. And third, a religious agenda. The Protestant as a confessional alternative for the well, this strategy was based, on the other hand, in the concepts from which it came. Uh, in the United States, the so-called social gospel has a strong influence uh, on the missionary groups, particularly in Methodist, mm -hmm. uh, which is the first denomination in Peru. Mm -hmm. uh, although uh, the more conservative groups, such as evangelicals from uh, 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 from Great Britain or, or Adventists had a most pietistic and proselytist position. Mm -hmm. But uh, they also had it clear that social action was part of their mission. On that basis, uh, they developed a series of missionary initiatives in the social sphere. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, the development of the employment options for women promoting uh, female employment education in their schools uh, or fostering the development of the nursing profession mm -hmm. which uh, at that time was only confined to, to Catholic nuns. Uh, in addition, it is well known the link of the uh, Protestant missionaries uh, with the first leaders of, of the Peruvian feminism Mm. Uh, such as Maria Alvarado. In fact, uh, one of the very uh, uh, old uh, Methodist schools, uh, 
Lima High School now is Maria Alvarado. Oh. Furthermore, they developed links with indigenous people, uh, several of whose, uh, of whose leaders, uh, Manuel Vicente Villarán, Dora uh, Mayor de Sule, expressed their appreciation for the Adventist work done in, uh, in Puno. Similarly, uh, pro Protestant missionaries developed uh, some uh, missionary projects with indigenous people in, in areas such as uh, Amazonas, in uh, Awahun people, Perene, uh, uh, with the Shaninka people, uh, or Puno, uh, with the Mara people. And uh, in the area of, 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 of uh, trade unions uh, and the university movement, mm -hmm. uh, the closeness between the Methodist pastor, uh, Roberto Alborta, and labor movements are well known. In fact, Roberto Alborta was part uh, to, uh, uh, for uh, the uh, temperance movement in uh, at the beginnings of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. uh, John Mackay, uh, the very uh, renowned Scottish educator, uh, has a very closeness links uh, with the circles of uh, intellectualism of the people from Lima in the 1920s. Uh, in addition, uh, the Presbyterians of the, uh, the people of, of, of uh, Anglo-Peruvian school, uh, with, uh, they, they has a very, very close links with some intellectuals and politicians like Victor Raúl Aya de la Torre, mm -hmm. uh, José Carlos Mariategui, and Victor Andrés Velaúme. Now, since you have talked about um, the intellectual movement linked with some Christian denominations, and all these initiatives that were proper from first decades of 20th century Peru, but nowadays, uh, at least you could trace a little bit uh, in mid-20th century, there's a change, a substantial change in the way that these denominations do pastoral work. In that sense, we would like to ask you, uh, your research refers that these first words, waves of Protestant missionaries were agents of modernization, directing their work to many institutions and social groups. But it also refers that in the last 50 years, a great portion of Protestant, Evangelical, and Pentecostal denominations aligned themselves, both actively and involuntarily, with more conservative ideas and political parties. When and why would you say is the turning point for this particular way of doing missionary work and overall being Protestant, Evangelical, or Pentecostal? Uh, well, I think that uh, transformations of the social approach of the missionaries started uh, around the uh, 1940s. Uh, on the one hand, in the global context, uh, the stage of the post-war period and the beginnings of the Cold War influenced on the conservatism of the Protestant churches. Uh, thus, since the 1950s, new waves of missionaries with anti-communist mentality mm -hmm. and with a pietistic, mythological approach 
focus basically on proselytizing and the spiritualization of the Christian measures will arrive. Uh, in China, uh, communist revolution triumphed in, in 1949. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, three years after, uh, all the Protestant missionaries were expelled, was expelled, and uh, like uh, ten thousand. Uh, mm -hmm. So the most of them came to Latin America with, with very uh, anti-communist uh, ideas. Uh, this is going to be acute in the following case, when the foundations uh, of the ideological Christian progressivism, communism, versus the Christian evangelicalism conservatism were led. Mm -hmm. uh, the struggles uh, between the conservative majority and the progressive minority, uh, mainly grouped in the Methodist Church and the Christian NGOs, began in, in the 60s. Similarly to what happened with Catholicism, the nature of the debate was focused on the ideological dimensions of the Christian mission and ecumenism. Mm -hmm. In the 70s, it was clear that the theological conservatism had been imposed, but in a moderate version, whose best expression was the Latin American theological fraternity and the Association of Evangelical College Groups of Peru, AGEU. Mm -hmm. At the side of it, the great evangelical uh, mass people attached to large, large denominations, basically developed a pietistic religious practice and a hermeneutic fundamentalist. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, the complex process of nationalization of the leadership uh, of the Protestant denominations occurs in that context. Just when the conservative speech and fundamentalism was in progress. Mm. Obviously, uh, that explains why many of the Protestant national leadership took a conservative, anti-ecumenical, and even fundamentalist speech. Mm. So the, the CONEP, uh, the, uh, the National Council of, of Evangelical Churches, uh, uh, starts its activities in the 40s, in 1940s. So, uh, and Connect was, uh, or the leadership of Connect was very national, with national people. Mm -hmm. They became uh, institutionally independent, but they um, inherited the ideological imprint of the missionaries from whom they complained. Mm -hmm. Thus, as we enter in the 1980s, the field was ready for the emergence of fundamentalism. Somehow, uh, violence of terrorism delayed that process for a short while because uh, moderate evangelicalism made this speech, uh, hegemonized at least in uh, evangelical cooperation entities and especially in, in CONEP, the Evangelical National Council of Peru. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, most of their leaders have belonged to the moderate evangelicalism. However, this hegemony uh, began to be questioned by a growing and very well-organized uh, fundamentalist force, which caused a deep crisis in Connect. Uh, so, uh, 
is a, like a neo-fundamentalism uh, represented in the leaders of, of charismatic movement uh, was different from moderate evangelicalism in its vision of the, of the church and its, and it, and its uh, political ideology. Mm -hmm. uh, the neo-fundamentalism is not necessary, necessarily uh, anti-intellectual. Mm -hmm. uh, you can even say that it is relatively illustrated and fits very well uh, to the parameters of the demo democratic public sphere. Mm -hmm. uh, this neo-fundamentalism or neo-fundamentalist is very active politically speaking always supporting the agenda of right-wing political groups. Uh, between uh, 1993 and 1995, an outpost of this group decided to take control of CONEP, National Council of Evangelical Churches. The damage that this battle produced in the main evangelical institution was prolonged, although later on the moderates could retake control of the institution. Mm -hmm. uh, the, but the neo-fundamentalists empowered themselves and began to construct the spaces of collective institutions on the basis of which they would promote their agenda. Those, the FIPAC, uh, the International Fraternity of Past Christian Pastors, and, uh, and uh, the Peruvian Fellowship of Evangelical Pastors were developed these institutions are, are very conservative, very fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, throughout the 21st century, uh, the strength of neo-fundamentalism of those very conservative groups has continued to grow. Mm -hmm. CONEP has been the battlefield between the ultra-conservative groups and the moderate mi minority that still maintains its presence here. Uh, and sometimes uh, Connect is, is, is very, very strange institution because uh, their presidents uh, in the last years uh, uh, was uh, always uh, moderate or even uh, liberal pastors. Mm -hmm. But when they took the presidents, uh, immediately they, they uh, act like uh, prisoners of conservatives. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the Connect uh, people says, says, well, the president is, is liberal, but it's, it's just uh, uh, symbolic, symbolic position, but they, they have no power, no, no effective power uh, inside institution. So uh, the UNICEF, the formation of the Union of Christian Evangelical Churches, it's other institutions, uh, different from, from CONEP, made a new attempt of the right-wing evangelical groups to hegemonize with a reactionary speech. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, an additional factor in this brief history of uh, is the influence of the American neoconservative agenda, uh, North American conservative agenda. Since the 1980s, the right-wing religious party has been strengthened considerably in the United States and, mm -hmm. and has globalized uh, uh, in, in the last decade. So the 
objectives of, of the crusade uh, to the demands of sexual minorities, feminism and secularism in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and for, for a decade their actions have become uh, globalized. Uh, uh, I think it is the one of the protagonists of, for example, uh, the homophobic speeches and the practice of Christian conservatism mm -hmm. in Peru. Uh, as you may know, in March 12 of 2016, the Marcha por la Familia y la Vida, or March for Life and Family, took place. It is an annual interdenominational march organized by the Archdiocese of Lima that gathers most of the conservative Christian and political wings of Peru's civil society against abortion and same-sex unions. In that sense, what is the current impact of the Pentecostal and Evangelical movement as part of a wider conservative coalition in this political struggle? Also, why would you say are they so focused on these particular issues? Uh, at present, uh, it is clear that the neo-fundamentalists have managed to hegemonize uh, at least at that point uh, on the Catholic side, the statements of the Episcopal Conference, uh, the Bishops' Conference, have been clearly reactionary. Uh, and at this point, all the wings of the Catholic Church handled the same speech, at least publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, progressive groups are afraid of saying something uh, for fear or for indifference. Well, but on the Protestant side, uh, the evangelical side, the internal battles that have occurred in the past years about this subject mm -hmm. also showed that the neo-fundamentalist speech succeeded in, in cornering moderates and progressives mm -hmm. uh, in a way that they had to abide to the homophobic tide which at this time has been extended by the evangelical churches. Mm -hmm. uh, the neo-fundamentalists have uh, succeeded in associating their speech with the essentiality of the evangelical identity. Uh, I think that for the Protestant people, evangelical people, members, uh, their identity did not necessarily imply being, for example, uh, homophobic. Mm -hmm. Thus, as part of the conservative strategy was to uh, normalize, naturalize mm -hmm. the relationship between evangelical religious discourse mm -hmm. and false opposition of sexual diversity, or, or abortion and abnormal issues like this. Mm -hmm. The conservative pressure has been so strong that it has uh, managed to neutralize uh, almost all voices inside the local Protestantism uh, that began to show to seem some sympathy uh, to the LBGT cause. Mm -hmm. uh, they have done in the, unethical methods many times, but finally effective. Uh, for example, uh, the campaign of, uh, for the uh, 
recall of, of Susana Villarán recognized the conflict of powers in which the neo-fundamentalist is one uh, an important repositioning. There are some several areas of action in this spread of, of uh, homophobia, speech and religious practice of conservative, conservative Christianity. Mm. Uh, uh, on the one hand, uh, theology and biblical, biblical hermeneutics produce the ideological foundations for the construction of uh, the pastoral homophobic discourse to the interior of the churches. Mm. Uh, on, our, and on the other hand, uh, the political discourse of religious hi hierarchies in the public sphere is more and more careful with using uh, religious categories, uh, except for less sophisticated groups. Mm. Uh, finally, in the practice, this uh, transconfessional alliance of neoconservatism ecumenical fundamentalism has a more active set of factors who are positioned in the various uh, political groupings in the, in the country as well as in, in social spaces uh, uh, traditionally re reluctant to change uh, uh, for example the education uh, or the military institutions uh, however the progressive minority uh, Silence for decades uh, also begins uh, to build the speeches in which theological discourse or the practice of the faith are compatible with the promotion of the uh, sexual diversity rights or or some other issues of, of progressive agenda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we have covered a bit more of the conservative part, we would like to go to the others side of the spectrum. Okay. This is the last question. Now we are facing the second round of presidential elections on June 5 of 2016. While it's a common misconception that being Christian equals to being political conservative, thus favoring religious and secular conservative candidates, a recent pronunciation of an interdenominational Christian collective Favoring a left-wing candidate has been circulating in different social media. Why this kind of political stances hardly find any correspondences in the majority of Peruvian Christians? Well, uh, I'm not sure uh, that the manifesto, this manifesto of progressive Christians, uh, well, among whom I, I, I include myself as well, mm -hmm. uh, have impacted too much on, on uh, electoral decisions of evangelical voters. Mm -hmm. I, I think the evangelical voter is, is more independent than many people believe and votes according to uh, rationalists that are not always religious. However, I think that actually there is an ultra-conservative and fundamentalist core that is militant in the crusade and the rights that its hierarchies have initiated. Although it is a minority, mm -hmm. it is very powerful in its media presence. Mm -hmm. They have managed, uh, as I said, to naturalize the relationship between the gospel and the conservative uh, media and public opinion in general. 
Well, in that context, uh, the progressive evangelical voices mm. uh, are even less than the fundamentalists, but hold key positions in the evangelical institutions, for mm. example, the Connect, the, the Bible Society, the Christian NGOs, some seminars, and even some denominations. Mm -hmm. uh, in that sense, I think the dissemination of, of the pronouncement of Christians in favor of, of Veronica, the left-wing candidate, is a very positive step because it shows that some of them are already learning uh, to position themselves in the public debate with the same aggressiveness as conservatives and, and articulated with national political actors. In this case, with, with the left-wing preamble, uh, in that way, uh, I think that an interesting way has been marked so that in the future, progressive postures expand their capacity of incidence within the churches and also in the Peruvian society in general. Mm. And I think it's very positive. Well, Professor Fonseca, it's been a pleasure to have you here in the Real Studies Project. We have learned about, a lot about the non-Catholic Christian movements that are, are in our country for more than a century now. Well, thanks for, for this opportunity. See you next time. It's wonderful to hear that interview there. And of course, although a lot of our podcasts will be about politics and the political in a sort of broad sense um, because everything is political right um, we very rarely actually focus upon the, the sort of manifestations of religious organizations in the political sphere i can think of um, actually an interview i did years back now with suzanne owen about um, druidry and the definition of religion in a uk context um, that particularly spring to mind and there'll be a few others there well, possibly Tariq Madud on secularism and secularization mm. Mm. Uh, but yes it's uh, something which we're um, hoping to bring you a little bit more of next after our summer break um, when we have a, a series of episodes on the subject of NGOs in Asia uh, so we're looking forward to that. Yeah, excellent. And, you know, I think I can pretty much commit us already to, um, in 2018, we'll end up, because the BASR and ISASR conference, joint conference is happening in Belfast um, in September 2018. So I, I'd be pretty sure we'll get a few interviews about uh, religion and politics from mm -hmm. that conference. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, to be stereotypical about my, my homeland. And we're already looking forward to this year's BASR conference, which is happening in Chester in September. In September, uh, Early yes, September. Indeed. And if you go to basr.ac.uk, you can uh, find out the call for papers. You've still got a whole month to get there. In fact, more than that, I think it's the mid... Well, be a month from when this goes out to uh, get your paper in and come and join us exactly. for what is always a very friendly and productive conference. And on that note, I'll just mention that there will be um, bursaries available for um, students, postgrad students and early career scholars. Um, we still probably haven't announced that yet because I've been slacking off. But bear that in mind, if you're thinking cost might be prohibitive to come to the BSR conference and there will be bursaries available. And don't forget, if you are coming, you'll get to take part in the RSP's annual Institution of the Christmas Special, this year being hosted by the Jonathan Tuckett. Fantastic. 
Um, so, next week, it's an interview that I had the privilege of recording um, just last month, actually, um, with uh, Keisha Ali of Boston University. And we talked about um, sexual ethics and Islam, which is one of her um, most famous books. And uh, so we talked about that broad subject. And uh, particularly, we talk a lot around the sort of area studies nature, you know, because that might be a book that people in, I'd say, RS in the main don't really interact with because it's maybe seen as area studies. So we do a lot of discussion about that kind of uh, that perceived divide and um, and how much more useful it would be if everyone read everyone's work. Yes, um, wouldn't it? And it would be so much better if there was 50 hours in the day. <laughs> Alas, there isn't. But thank you for giving up the last 35 minutes of your day to listen to this episode. Um, as ever, if you wish to support the RSP, you can do so at no cost to yourself by using our Amazon affiliate links when you shop online. That's .co.uk.com and .ca. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, on Facebook. Please do comment on the website and send your emails, as ever, to editors at religiousstudiesproject.com. If you use us on iTunes, please do leave a rating. It helps us get the message out to a wider audience and really does make a difference. Um, other than that, Chris, there was something you were going to add, wasn't there? Thanks for listening.